Hi everyone, I am your host, Mark Rituero, and welcome to the Mark the Shark MMA Show, where every week we talk about the wonderful sport of, of mixed martial arts. Today we will review both the most recent and upcoming events and MMA news. Each episode, the format may be changed, but you will always be entertained. There will be interviews with special guests, along with special insights on the sport from our guest host. We'll also give our picks as to who we think will win the next uh, UFC main event. Remember to keep listening to the show, because at the end of the show, we will show you, the listeners, how to win a special prize each week. Also, make sure to follow us on Facebook for news and latest updates for future episodes. Also, we appreciate any donations from our listeners to keep this podcast up and running. You can make a donation by going to anchor.fm slash Mark the Shark MMA Show. And that's Mark spelled with a C and not a K. Also, we'll be looking for guests to appear on our show along with people who want to act as a sponsor and promote their product and brand. For more information, just contact me on the Mark the Shark MMA Show Facebook page. Also, as a plug-in, if you're looking for a good action thriller novel to read, check out the book called The Cabal. The cycle begins. You can find it on both the Amazon and Barnes & Noble website. It's also available in Kindle format, paperback, and audio book format. If you're looking for a good book for your kid to read, check out the books written by a young girl by the name of Christina Ritorio. She has two books out on the market, both on the Amazon and Barnes & Noble website. Her books are called I Am a Survivor and Invisible Girl. As of now, only the Invisible Girl is available in audiobook format on both on iTunes, Amazon, and Audible. Okay, everyone, thanks for joining us. Keep on listening. We'll begin shortly after this break. Alright guys, we're back on the show. We got a lot of things for you in store today. We got a special guest on our show, a special sports psychologist, which I think would be very beneficial for all the MMA fighters out there to listen to. We'll talk about how to deal with uh, pre-fight jitters as well as the, the adrenaline dumps that all fighters experience at one point or another. And then we're going to be talking about the PFL, which is another MMA promotion as well as last week's fight with Donald Cerrone and this upcoming fight with Rose Namanunas and Jessica Andrade. But before we get started, today I was looking on my, on my Facebook account and I noticed that next, next Sunday, May 19th, there is a charity for anybody who does jiu-jitsu and is very, being very charitable. This is for you. They are having a role... For National Brain Tumor Awareness Month. It takes place this Sunday, May 19th. It starts at 10 a.m. and ends at 12 p.m. They are the head instructor there, his name is, I believe, Mike Wilson. And they are located at 31 Industrial Avenue, Suite 8, in Mawa, New Jersey. Again, it's cold. <coughs> the role for national <coughs> sorry, I can't stop talking. Brain tumor awareness month. And they're located at the Gorilla Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy. <clears throat> Keep listening because you will learn in this special episode on how to make money by listening to our podcast here as well as this week's prize. So keep listening 
and enjoy the show. Hi guys, we're back to the show. Are you guys interested in making money? Well, keep listening to the podcast. I'll make a special announcement on how you, the listener, can make money by listening to my podcast as well as other podcasts. Stay tuned. Hi, Mark. Guys, we're back on the show. Today we have a special guest, Dr. Chris Friesen. How you doing today, Chris? Good. How are you? Good, good, good. All right. Now, if I understand it, um, Dr. Chris Friesen, you are a psychologist who specializes in professionals as well as elite athletes, as well as entrepreneurs, executives, and academics that achieve that want to achieve their personal and uh, professional potential. Is that correct? Yeah, that's uh, pretty much it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so how did you get into psychology? Good question. I was a, uh, I played uh, hockey as a goaltender uh, when I was young and pretty competitively. And um, I skipped some ages and, and I was, uh, I learned that the harder I worked in hockey, you know, the more I improved. Um, eventually this ended at one point uh, when I was, I think I was 17. It was my dreams of playing pro were basically over. And uh, I was kind of stuck with trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And I discovered a lots of self-help books, including Tony Robbins, I believe it was Awaken the Giant Within and uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And those really changed my life. Uh, I was a, almost dropping out of school. I was just performing so bad in school because I hated school. And I actually thought I was pretty stupid. And uh, I realized I can apply the principles from these self-help books from uh, what I learned in sport to school and uh, take control of my life and, and uh, allow myself to do something that I wanted to do. And that led me to university. And many years later, I became a, a, a psychologist. Oh, that's great. Now, um, you work with a lot of athletes. Now, how do you help them get into the zone and perform their best? I take an uh, individualized approach. Um, some athletes have a real hard time getting in the zone. And just as an example, some people uh, have some problems with nerves. And, and when you're really, really anxious, if it's too high, you, you can't get into the zone. Um, some people are the opposite. They don't have enough nerves. And uh, I, just as a quick example, I worked, uh, I worked with a lot of combat athletes and uh, working with um, uh, international wrestlers. Uh, and there was uh, this one wrestler that came to me and said, look, I, I, I get lots of anxiety before these uh, matches uh, and like, you know, national and international matches. Guys that I could beat in practice beat me in, in, in competition and I'm really nervous and I would like you to help me become like this Russian wrestler who is so relaxed. He's sleeping before his matches. And so I asked him, tell me a bit more about this Russian wrestler. And he would say, well, this Russian wrestler he usually loses the first point or two, and then he smashes the guy. And I thought that's really interesting um, because there's something called the Yerkes Dodson Law, which has to do with how much uh, activation or anxiety you need to perform at your best. 
And it's actually not what most people think. People think they need to have no anxiety to perform at their best, especially in, in combat sports. That's definitely not true. You need a moderate level of anxiety because your reflexes uh, get faster. Your brain's processing speeds faster. Your attention is faster. Uh, and lots of things. You actually become stronger and your cardio lasts longer when you have that adrenaline. But too much and you burn out, too little and you're too slow. And so I had to, for a lot of athletes, I have to kind of bring them in and say, look, we actually want you to feel anxiety. You don't want to have no anxiety. And if you think it's bad to have anxiety, that's part of the problem. Mm. I know myself uh, when I used to compete in uh, mm -hmm. <clears throat> jujitsu tournaments, I used to get a lot of anxiety mm -hmm. um, before, uh, before my match. And then once I step on a mat, you know, all the anxiety went away. And I kind of yes. remember this one discussion I had with uh, Bralo Estima, who's like a five-time world jiu-jitsu champion. Mm. He said he would often say, um, everybody gets nervous, it's normal, but it's yeah. the ones that know how to control and use that fear to their advantage are the ones that often succeed in competition. Exactly. You often find that with your clients? Yes. And uh, you know what I would do? Uh, you know, that guy obviously knows what he's talking about, but I would just change the word from control to allow because mm. it's actually interesting. So I also, uh, I do uh, stress testing for all the high risk police officers at this local, uh, the local police service uh, here in uh, where I live in Canada. It's close to Niagara Falls in the U S in Buffalo. Um, and uh, one of the things we do is all the high risk officers. So like this, you know, the SWAT team, um, the homicide, uh, there's a whole bunch of them. What we do is we do these physiological stress tests on them. And, um, Basically, what we want to do is, is find out how they handle stress and, uh, you know, whether they're aware of their stress and then what to do about that. And again, it's kind of interesting. So sometimes an athlete will come in and say, like that other athlete, and say, look, I want to have no anxiety. I want you to help me control my anxiety. So what I do is I hook them up to one of these uh, 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 psychophysiological stress tests. So, for example, sweat response. It's measuring microscopic stress. And I say, listen, here's a line graph as a computer. And this line goes up when you're stressed. It goes down when you're relaxed. I want you to try really hard to control this. Try to make it go down. And ironically and interestingly, and of course, this is a trick, the line goes up the harder they try. And I say, you see, this is the problem. The more you try to control your anxiety, the more your anxiety will go up. So just the act of controlling turns on the something called the sympathetic nervous system, which is a stress response. Instead, you want to allow your anxiety to be there and stop fighting it. And once you allow it to be there and you stop fighting it, then you can use the power it gives you. So this is one of the things. The word control, uh, you know, makes you think, you know, exerting energy to try to relax. The word try is wrong, too. The real word is allow yourself to relax. You think of this like when you go to sleep at night and we say, we don't try to sleep. I mean, we say that in our language, but that's not actually how you fall asleep. The harder you try to force yourself to sleep, the less likely you're going to sleep. Sleep happens when you allow yourself to fall asleep. And it's the same thing because you can't sleep when the stress response is activated. In other words, you're trying to make yourself sleep. You just have to stop trying and then you eventually fall asleep. So it's the same principle. Hmm. So it's kind of like the saying, go with the flow, let your body flow. I exactly. Guess. Yeah. And then... And then do you find that maybe being too calm during competition would hurt your hurt their performance? Yes, exactly. Because as I was saying earlier, when you're too calm and relaxed, like that Russian wrestler, for example, with him, 
I, I never met this wrestler. This is someone told me about him. But this wrestler, supposedly, he would lose a few points. So then you would get upset, anxious, activated, whatever word you want to use. And then you'd perform better. And again, if you anyone Googles listening to this, Google Yerkes Dotson Law or the inverted U performance curve. And this is one of the few things in performance and sports psychology that we call a law because uh, in most psychology, we don't have laws like the law of gravity, but it's been replicated so many times that we refer to as a law now in the sense that you need some anxiety and stress and activation to perform at your best. So if you're too relaxed, uh, you're going to have a hard time. And just to go, just to show sort of examples. um, So that's an example of someone who's got too low anxiety, but you see this in mixed martial arts all the time. I call it the Tin Man phenomenon. So you'll see guys early on in fights, they just look like the Tin Man, you know, uh, Wizard of Oz. They they look really stiff. And it's not because they're not warmed up because, you know, you guys are warming up backstage. It's not that you're not warmed up. It's the anxiety, too much like really high anxiety causes muscles to contract. When muscles contract, your flow of your movement is reduced. So, so this is the thing, and they're probably trying to control the anxiety. And it isn't until, they're, like you're saying, once you've competed, you know, after the first round or something like that, then you start to relax more. Because what happens is your brain is predicting how bad this is going to be or how painful this is going to be or, you know, uh, you know, so much is on the line. But once you get there, it's never quite as bad as your brain predicted. And then your body can relax. So, so it's really interesting how this works. Hmm. Now, how do you help athletes um, – deal with like any kind of negative thoughts that they may have going into a competition? Yeah. I, I love this question because, you know, when you read the media or some coaches uh, will say, okay, you know, replace your negative thoughts with positive thoughts. The reality is uh, that's not, doesn't work. Um, it, it basically your brain and your mind isn't stupid. If you say, you know, I'm going to just, just wipe everyone's excuse my language ass in this competition. Um, even though you know you're ranked ten out of you know, out of the ten, you know the worst ranked is it's you're you're not stupid. It's not going to happen. So instead, you'll see it's similar to what I was saying earlier. Is that instead of trying to replace a negative thought with a po- positive thought, instead you want to allow those thoughts to be there because they're totally normal. Think of GSP, George Saint Pierre. Think mm. of uh, Mike Tyson. They all come out and say, "Look, I've had all ki- when I was going to fights, I had all kinds of fears and doubting thoughts." The question is, do you get hooked by them? In other words, do you listen to them? Uh, do you take them 100% serious like they're facts? And if those guys did, they would have, you know, when you see GSP running into the ring with his uh, gi on, he would be running the opposite way. But instead, <laughs> he knows, and uh, Mike Tyson knows, and every successful athlete knows, having doubting thoughts is totally normal. And what you want to do is, you have that thought, you notice that thought, you don't want to squash your thought because if you try and suppress a thought, it'll keep coming back. So instead, let's say you're having a thought like, um, you know, I don't feel prepared or this guy is real better than I thought. Uh, you want to just acknowledge what's happening. So in other words, in your head, you say, I'm, I'm noticing the thought that I don't feel prepared. Or I'm noticing I'm having the thought that this guy's really good. And then you, in a way, you, you, you accept it. You, you say, thanks mind or thanks brain for doing what you're programmed to do because Everyone has doubting thoughts, including the top athletes in the entire world. And you just, you're, but by doing that, you're putting space between you and the thought. You're unhooking yourself from the thought. And then you return your attention back to that present moment. So you're acknowledging it, not squashing it, and you're accepting it as opposed to getting mad. Like, I shouldn't have negative thoughts. I should just have positive thoughts. I should just think that I'm going to destroy everyone. And the guys that think they can destroy everyone is also bad. So I give this, I give this as an example. So let's pretend... 
I had a magic wand and I could make you or any other athlete have only uh, really high confidence and no doubting thoughts. And your competition is in three months from now. And then there was an equally talented athlete that had doubting thoughts. Who do you think is going to be more motivated uh, to train after the training sessions over when there's more mat time, the guy with some doubting thoughts or the guy who thinks he's, he's got this. Who do you think? The guy with doubting thoughts. Exactly. You want to succeed. <laughs> exactly. So, and I can go on and on, but the reality is, and I wrote an article on this saying, you, you know, uh, doubting thoughts or your doubts are your friend because your doubting thoughts motivate you. So it feels uncomfortable to have negative thoughts, doubting thoughts, or to feel anxious. But all of those, if you have the right attitude towards them, in other words, this accepting attitude, you're going to uh, perform better. You're going to be more motivated. You're not going to be stupid because if you go into competition thinking, I'm the best, I can kill anyone here. Um, that's okay to some extent, as long as, you know, I can kill anyone here, as long as I do X, Y, and Z. And otherwise I know if I, you know, avoid this guy's right hand, if I, you know, get this guy on the ground, you know, get him into my world. If you, as long as you have those thoughts, you have a, you have an action plan, then you're, then that's okay to say, I can take anyone here as long as I follow my game plan, as opposed to, I'm just the best. Cause if you go in there thinking you're the best, you, what's going to happen, you're going to get a rude awakening when this guy you know, punches you in the mouth, just like Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan to your punch in the mouth. And you're going to realize, oh, shit, I underestimated this guy. And it's going to be kind of too late. You're going to just be not ready for it. Yes. Yeah, that's good. That's good point. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's so being confident in yourself, but not overconfident, I think, is the key. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I remember um, reading a book a while back uh, that was written by a uh, Chuck Norris, you know Chuck Norris, right? mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, famous, famous martial artist. Um, back when he was competing, he would tr- try to um, have mental images mm. at, of himself actually competing. Yes, and I'm wondering, like, maybe with your patients, do you use any type of um, maybe meditation at all or mental imagery to help them? I do competition. Yeah, for sure, I do both, and I, I see them as separate things. So let's say imagery or visualization. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, that's it, visualization. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So with visualization, there's uh, there's actually a process called WHOOP, W-O-O-P. Okay. If you Google that, there's an app, there's a book uh, <laughs> by a big time psychologist that researches this. And it's basically the proper order to do visualization. So I won't go into too much detail, but W mm-hmm. means wish or goal. Like, what do you want to achieve? So you imagine, visualize yourself, let's say, winning a particular match, winning the title, and you kind of bask in that glory, that good feeling. But you don't leave it there because that could, again, if you just do that all the time, imagine yourself just sweeping the competition, you're going to become overconfident. And you're, instead, you have to actually imagine yourself going through a war and then winning. So, so whoop is, uh, W is wish, in other words, what you want to achieve. And then you come up with uh, obstacles, like all the obstacles that can get in the way. And then exactly what you're going to do about each of those obstacles. So you visualize yourself saying, look, uh, I'm down. And it's the third round and I'm losing on the scorecard. But I, then you visualize what you would have to do and doing it successfully to come back and win. Um, you visualize, and I make a joke. It's kind of like the Hulk Hogan uh, scenario, right? You know, all of a sudden uh, you, you visualize, you know, or Rocky, you visualize, you know, Adrian and you're losing. And all of a sudden you, you go on Hulk mode, right? It's like all of a sudden <laughs> you get this energy and you think about what it's going to mean if I win or lose. And you want to take those sorts of visualizations when you're, uh, really tired or when you're kind of losing or when you're uh, you're imagining yourself losing and then coming up with that extra strength um, and coming back. Um, so in the way I describe it, it's like when you, with astronauts, they don't just like 
you know, decide I'm going to go to, we're going to go to the moon and let's just figure it out when we get there kind of thing. They go over every possible negative thing that can happen and how they're going to overcome them. So they've already rehearsed. What if fucking aliens show up at our ship door when we're going to the moon? They, they rehearse that. They know what to do. What if there's a slight leak? Because again, if there's a leak and you haven't rehearsed this a hundred times in your mind or even in, you know, on land as best you can, when it really happens, your anxiety is going to be so high, you won't be able to think clearly. But if you've done this a hundred times, you go into auto mode. You know, you do what your training's taught you to do. So you want to envision all the bad things that can happen, but how you're going to overcome them as opposed to envisioning yourself just sweeping the competition, like winning with a one punch knockout in five seconds. Right. So this is important is to do visualization correctly. Um, yeah, so that's my talk on visualization. That's great. That's great. Now, what do you think is the most common mental obstacle that can prevent a you know, a regular average Joe or an athlete from reaching their goal? Okay. So the, I would say, uh, is listening to your, uh, moods, your energy levels, your negative thoughts, and letting those dictate your behavior. So, and I can just twist this around. I've often been asked what makes successful people and athletes the most successful, like what differentiates them? Of course, there's a whole bunch of things. But if I had to say one thing was the most important thing, it would be this. The most successful people, the most successful athletes, um, the happiest or most people live the most meaningful lives, they make their day-to-day decisions about what to do with themselves, not based on how much energy they have, not based on what their mind's saying they can and cannot do, uh, often not even based on their circumstances or their moods. They base it on their goals and values. And goals are exactly what it sounds like. Values are the person you want to be and how you want to live your life. And that's it. And so we all do this where we, uh, for example, I wrote a book. And if I only wrote the book when I felt inspired, energized, confident, and I had no thoughts that no one's going to read my book and or I, I write like a two-year-old, um, if I only did it when I didn't have those things, it would take me 100 years to write the book. So instead, what you have to do is unhook from those thoughts like we talked about earlier um, and notice you're having the thoughts, accept that your brain produces these thoughts and notice that you're tired and accept that you feel tired. And then you do it anyways. And it turns out, um, just like therapy for people with anxiety and phobias, confidence um, and your sense of what we call self-efficacy or, or your belief in your ability to do things comes from doing things, not from thinking you can do things. So people often have it backwards. They think I have to be motivated, inspired, pumped up to, to go to the gym right now. And that's bullshit. It's actually the opposite. You go to the gym, no matter how you feel, and then you start to realize you feel pumped up. And the more you do this, the more control you have over yourself. In other words, the more you're able to call the shots as in terms of basing your decisions on what to do based on your goals and values, not on how you feel today. Does that make sense? It exactly makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Got another question for you. Because mm-hmm. I've, I've experienced um, adrenaline dumps, you know, you want to compete and all. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they, 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 they do affect your performance. How do you help? especially combat athletes deal with adrenaline dumps. Yeah. So, you know, especially, so the way this works is if you competed every night or three times a week in a real competition, of course, combat athletes don't do this. You wouldn't have any adrenaline dumps because the more you expose yourself to situations that make you anxious, the less those things make you anxious. Um, So with like, let's say if I work with a professional hockey player, they don't feel 
they might feel some anxious, but they're not getting a lot of adrenaline dumps because they're competing so often. But if it's a goalie who's just called up from the minors or it's their first day in the NHL, they're going to suffer from that. So combat athletes, because of the, the, the frequency, uh, the lack of or the low frequency of competing, they're very susceptible to that. And so uh, one thing is to, to be prepared and think about this. Um, and I'll give you a really interesting uh, thing to do. So there's something, and I won't go into super detail because I know we don't have a lot of time, but something called heart rate variability um, or heart rate variability biofeedback. We call it HRV for short. You can mm. use this through aura rings and Fitbits. They measure these things and you can tell whether you should work out hard or not. So you can use HRV as a measure of how well your nervous system and your body's recovered from workouts, et cetera. So that's another story. But if you breathe in five seconds in through your nose, five seconds out through your mouth, and you do that uh, for, uh, I would say, don't just do it on the day of competition, but you practice doing that because it builds something called vagal tone, which is the vagus nerve, which controls the relaxation and recovery response. So if you're sitting and I work with like, again, a lot of wrestlers, uh, I do kickboxing, lots of different people and mixed martial arts, you know, let's say they're, let's say wrestlers, they often compete multiple times in a day and between matches, uh, I tell them, don't just sit down, listen to your music and whatever, do this breathing because it's the only real way we can turn on the parasympathetic or rest and recovery and relaxation response at will. So you breathe in slow through your nose and then breathe out through your mouth, no holding the breath. And if I was to measure you uh, physiologically, you, we could see what's happening to your body. In other words, it's, it's, it's resting. So, you know, if you're driving to a competition and you're, you're not warming up and you're stationary, I would be doing this breathing because it basically puts your, your body in neutral. Because what happens with adrenaline dumps, your anxiety is so high for, so, you know, for a particular amount of time, probably even sometimes hours, that your brain is a, what we call a glucose hog. Your brain uh, sucks up most of your body's glucose. It's different ratings, but from 20 to 50%, just this little three pound thing in your head is taking up all your body's energy. So if you're anxious and worried and thinking and uh, what's going to happen that of course makes your body, your, your muscles tense. It makes your breathing rate go up, your heart rate go up, your blood pressure go up. All these things happen, which is burning all the glycogen, all the uh, storage of energy in your muscles and you become exhausted. And you, this is what, you know, adrenaline dump is. It's because you depleted your resources just from anxiety as opposed to working out. You can get the same feeling of an adrenaline dump by just training like uh, running or doing too much exercise on the day of a competition or too much warm up because you're just draining your system. So, so I would say that breathing would be the number one thing, but also that acceptance of I'm going to feel nervous. It's okay. Because the harder you try to fight the nerves and tell yourself, I shouldn't be nervous, the more energy you're using, you're actually contributing to the adrenaline dump. Hmm. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, when I was like looking, doing research on you, I noticed this term called biohacking. What is biohacking? Yes. Yeah, so I've been a big fan of biohacking. Uh, and, and most, let's say athletes are, are in a way biohackers. So biohacking means there's different sort of definitions, but my, the way I look at it is this, you're basically, uh, hacking your biology to make it perform better. And there's different ways of doing it. Just like dieting is a form of biohacking. Uh, intermittent fasting is a form of biohacking. Um, uh, working out is a form of biohacking because that's not normal. We don't just lift weights and, and do these things as natural as cave people that we didn't have weights. We didn't need weights, but, um, and, uh, but all the way to supplementation is biohacking, uh, changing your brain through this breathing. I was mentioning it's called HRV breathing is a form of biohacking. So it's doing things that change your physiology to make it perform better. So that's basically the definition. You can do everything from changing your brain through neurofeedback and things like this as well. Ah, oh, oh, pretty interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Now, do you have any books published that our listeners can read so they can get better understanding on how they can achieve their dreams and goals? I do. I have uh, my book is called Achieve. Uh, the mm-hmm. subtitles: Find out who you are, what you really want, and how to make it happen. It's it's a uh, it's supposed to be a series. It's called the High Achievement Handbook, Book One. Um, mm-hmm. The reality is, uh, I published this, I think, in 2016. It's on Audible, it's on Kindle, and it's on physical copy on on Amazon. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so you can listen in or read or however you want to do it. It's um, um, uh, the other books in the in the series are more specific to the kind of the stuff we talked about today. But the reality okay. is, my my clinic, my practice, the, you know, it's exploded, and I had. Uh, I've had almost zero time to work on them. And so that's just the reality. Unfortunately, um, I do plan mm-hmm. to eventually get back to them when things settle down a bit, but you know, I just, the demand for what I'm doing is, is getting so high uh, and I'm having fun doing it. So, um, but that book, the first book is really the ba- like the basics or the base that you need to sort of the foundation where it's like, you get, you get to know what's your personality, you know, what are your values? What are your goals? What are your, uh, you know, what are your strengths and all these things? And it's full of exercise to figure that out. It's almost like a workbook. And, uh, and then, you, you know, at the end, you kind of figure out, okay, this is now I know myself really well and my strengths and weaknesses. And then you kind of really set your goals then. And then the last chapter really focuses on how to kind of the stuff, some of the stuff we talked about in terms of dealing with, you know, motivation issues and day to day. What do I do every single day to help me get towards my goals? The upcoming books, if I ever finish them, are more of kind of the biohacking side, like how to deal with anxiety, how to deal with nerves, how to properly visualize like the things I was saying today. Um, but I, the first book had to be that because we wanted to make sure we, I say me, wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, um, that people had that base. You're not working on the wrong goals for you. You had to figure out, you have to figure out yourself who you are first and get a deep understanding of that. And then only then should you be sort of using these hacks uh, to you know, achieve your potential. Hmm. And if my listeners wanted to get more information on you and if possible, get in contact with you, how would they do that? Uh, the best way is uh, I have a website called freezenperformance.com. That's F-R-I-E-S-E-N performance.com. Um, okay. There's a mailing list and I, I podcast like this. If I've been on or magazine articles, I've written, I've written some for success magazine and, and other things. Uh, I often send those out. Um, I'm on Twitter at Friesen, uh, I think, yeah, Friesen Perform. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. And if you Google, sorry, if you search uh, Facebook, Friesen, uh, I think it's Friesen Sport and Performance Psychology, you'll find my, uh, tr- my Facebook feed as well. Uh, those are the best ways uh, to get in contact with me. And of course, uh, if anyone needs to speak to me directly on, especially my website, if you send an email through the contact us, that eventually comes to me. And uh, yeah, that's uh, probably the best way. Okay. And to all the listeners out there, you can always use the uh, Anchor app, download it onto your um, Android or iPhone, and you can leave a message with me. And if I can, I could always forward a message on to the doctor as well. Um, I think that's it for today, Chris. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank Um, you. And um, that's pretty much it, guys. We'll be right back after this short break. Hi guys, we're back to the show. Are you guys interested in making money? Well, keep listening to the podcast. I'll make a special announcement on how you, the listener, can make money by listening to my podcast as well as other podcasts. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. 
Hello, Mark. Hey, hey Zane. Hey, guys. We're back on the show. Uh, we're uh, here to talk about this past UFC fight that happened on ESPN this past Saturday uh, with the main card being Donald Cerrone and Ally Aquita. Zane, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. It was a pretty uh, technical fight. Uh, exciting. Some people didn't feel it was that exciting, but I definitely enjoyed it. Um, there was a lot going on. Uh, it was a, a battle of, of technique, not just swinging punches. So I really enjoyed the fight. Okay. What I noticed, uh, particularly in the main event with between Donald and Alaquina, was that it seemed <clears throat> that in the beginning that Donald had a hard time like extending his punches it seemed like he was cutting himself off I think that's probably because they're both um, aggressive in their style of fighting so it seemed like a lot of times with Donald he would end up jamming himself particularly on the punches uh, I gotta give it to Al though he did get a couple of good takedowns or at least he tried on some occasions takedowns off Donald's kicks he got one or two down but towards the end there Donald you know, seemed to, uh, was able to figure out his distance and capitalize a lot on the jabs. Uh, is that what you saw in the fight as well? I was just about to say, I do agree with you very much that it took uh, Cerrone a little bit of time to get his range down. I think what happens is a lot of times in, you know, the first or second round of a fight, or at least it, it's, there's some sort of feeling, feeling out stage where, you know, they think that certain things are going to work and it takes them a little bit of time to get their timing down or to figure out what their opponent is doing and how to capitalize on their movement or something that they usually do that they consider a mistake. So I think both fighters were trying to figure each other out quickly. Sometimes one fighter does it a little bit faster than the other. And they learn how to counter or they learn how to use their range better than the other one. So I, I, I do agree very much what you said, uh, Mark, is that Cerrone had a better, uh, he had more of an advantage, it seems, on the jab. And he used his range. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Mark. I wasn't too sure what that noise was. Uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I just want to make sure you're still there, buddy. Anyway, yeah. so um, I do agree with you that he was using his range, his jab. and But, you know, Al is a beast. When he needs to, he'll use that, that strength that he's got. And I, I was also watching the fight. And some fighters, they, they almost don't have the ability to throw, uh, you know, maybe uh, one particular punch straight. It always just seems to be a hook. And I was watching Al, and I don't know if you agree with me or not. Maybe it's just his choice during this fight. But he seems like he had a jab at times. But it was always when he threw the right hand, it was a little bit of a hook. Not really mm -hmm. a straight, you know, uh, reverse punch. I don't know uh, what you might have seen in the fight. I don't know if you agree with me or not. How do you feel about that? Um, I didn't pick up on that, but I, I think... Al's team definitely studied Donald because it seemed like he was waiting for him all the time when he was throwing those kicks. I mean, towards the end, 
Donald tore up that leg. I mean, he landed a lot of leg kicks. Um, but in the beginning, it looked like he, especially when Donald was going for like the midsection, it seemed like he was waiting for it. And that's when he was going for his takedowns. So I think they did do a little, little bit of a planning out process in terms of the strategy on this fight. But in general, though, I didn't think this card was as good as the previous week's card. There was only one TKO on the main card. Um, there were some other fights on there with Cub Swatson, who seemed to have been particularly outstruck by Shane Burgos. I thought it was a good fight. Um, he just didn't. It just didn't seem to be a night for him. And then there was another fight. Um, get the guy's name. I think it was on the earlier card. Brunson, who seemed to out-wrestle his guy. But in terms of the main event, I think Al definitely seemed to have some kind of plan going in there. But he just wasn't uh, willing, wasn't able to pull it off. Well, that's a good point. A lot of times, yeah, you have this, this plan. You have, um, you know, you, you try to plan for to fight a certain way against a particular guy and you have your team thinking that yep I think our plan is going to work and then sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't sometimes you don't execute you know your strategy uh, as well mm. as you would like and uh, it depends on who's more aggressive who's more focused who has the better plan and uh, I feel that you know on a different night maybe Al could have executed his plan a little bit a little bit better and he could have, uh, and he could have taken him out. It, it just, uh, it depends on uh, a bunch of different factors. I do feel though that, aside from the strength, aside from from the power punching, I think that Cerrone had more of a well-rounded uh, game. Even though that he might have gotten taken down, he might have gotten hit a couple times. I just think that um, probably if they fought ten times, I think he'd probably win you know, eight out of 10 times. I think it was just the attributes that he had going in. Um, but but still, Al is not out of it. I think that Al can come back strong and he has uh, lots of fights ahead of him. He's a, a, a an amazing competitor. I wouldn't want to fight him. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I thought it was a fun fight to watch. Mm. Now, what do you think? I don't know if, you, if you've been... Uh following the news at all lately but after that fight it seemed like uh there were talks about oh connor Connor fighting cerrone yeah i I tell you even though even though connor lost um you know to uh uh, it's i still feel that connor is uh he's got a lot of power i think he has excellent judge of range I think he throws that right hand, uh, you know, very well. Um, I just think that he has, I just think that connor has got a lot of stand-up tools. I think that Cerrone, if he were to fight him, he's got to st- He's got to not get hit and he's got to take it to the ground. I think we've, I, as much as, um, as Khabib was able to manhandle him on the ground, I do give credit to Connor during that fight, I don't know if you, uh, you know, how much you remember about it, but uh, even though Connor's not a ground specialist, 
he he did give him trouble to you know to keep him on the ground. And, yeah. So I, I just feel that as much as it would be a fun fight, I I do if I had to bet on it, I think that Connor would would beat Cerrone. I think that he he has similar tools that Cerrone does, but I think he's even better in the stand up. So I would have to give Connor the advantage there. But again, a fun fight. I'd love to see it. Oh, I, 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 I do hope that comes into fruition. I mean, like you said, Connor seems to have some kind of weakness on the ground. Um, he is a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. Um, he is training with uh, Dylan uh, Dennis, who's a uh, world-class um, jiu-jitsu practitioner. But, uh, I mean, he did give Khabib, you know, a hard time. But he's out. He's out. The other guy's just on another level in terms of grappling. Oh, um, he's on another yeah. level with most people. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's like Damian Maya. You know, like you know, he's smashed some a lot of good wrestlers. Even though they thought the wrestlers were going to give him a hard time, he was able to take him down and then pass their guard and then strangle him at ease. But on this one, if if Connor were to fight Cerrone, I don't know. Part of me. I don't know, man. I think Cerrone is just a little, might be just a little bit too strong for him. I'm kind of like, I guess, because maybe I'm, don't get me wrong, I love Connor. I think he's, I love watching him fight. I love the way he trash talks people. <laughs> I get a real kick out of it. Me, I, me, I mean, a lot of people think it's a hard eye on him. I think he I'm just does it. excited about the guy. I mean, I think he's a, a, a great competitor, a great fighter. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I'm not, I'm not exactly, uh, I, I wouldn't love to be friends with him. <laughs> If that kind of describes my opinion of him, uh, yeah, I, my opinion is a lot of it. I think he just does for show to sell tickets. But I am a Cerrone fan, and I would probably be more a favor of him winning it. Um, but again, anything against the Connor because I do like Connor. As far as know. tools, as far as tools that they both have, uh, the attributes and tools, and the way that they tend to initiate their game plans I think it would be a very very close fight but are you saying that you think if they fought would Cerrone win or would Connor win um I'm leaning towards more Cer- towards Cerrone only because uh he's, he's been around longer and his jiu-jitsu skills I think are really good and he's also a good kickboxer. Um, not that Connor isn't, um, but I think I think the grappling gives Cerrone a little bit more of an edge. Well, you know, I and I, to, I have just to say, wrong. I think I think now thinking about it, as far as who they fought, Connor fought Nate, so did Cerrone. Mm. Connor and Nate both lost. To, uh, both Connor and Cerrone lost to Nate. But the second fight with Connor, he was able to avoid the ground, but he still looked extremely tired at the end of the fight. I still give yeah. the second fight to Nate. I actually thought that Nate won the second fight. But yeah, yeah. Connor, and I, I believe a little bit of politics there, they said, ah, it was kind of even, so let's give it to Connor and we can have a big super fight trilogy. That's, in my opinion, what they did. But Cerrone only had one fight with Nate, 
I don't know if he got knocked out. I think he just got, uh, I forget the result. Did he just get beat up and they gave him the decision? Or did he actually uh, TKO? Yeah, I would have to research on that. I don't recall that offhand. But um, Cerrone, Cerrone having the ability to fight both Nate, uh, you know, having fought Nate, I think that Cerrone should take um, a page out of Nate's, you know, playbook against Connor. Keep him at bay, pump that jab in, and then even try and take him down whenever he can. And leg kick the heck out of him. Get him to, yeah, stop, get yeah. him to stop moving around. So I, it would be an interesting fight. I like it a lot. Yeah. Well, well hopefully it comes into fruition. Now, uh, for any of the listeners out there, you can use the Anchor app and leave up a message to give us your opinion on that one. Now, I want to skip around. Normally, I do a different segment, you know, the pre you know, reviewing the post fight and going into the main event on a different uh, note. But while I got you on the phone, uh, I don't know if you noticed or not, but if t- this weekend there's a, you know, obviously there's another UFC, but not so much focusing on the main event. But what I'm noticing here on the undercard and the preliminary card that starts on the regular ESPN channel at eight o'clock, they got BJ Penn fighting. Are you aware of that? I, I wasn't sure which card. I knew that he was fighting soon. I was yeah. uh, I was not up on exactly what day it was and, and where it was going to be. Uh, kind of mentioning uh, ESPN, I, in my opinion, I'm having a little bit of difficulty falling in love with the idea on how the UFC has structured their uh, events as far mm. as how to get them. But that's, a I guess, another... Uh, that'll be a, another... Uh, uh, interview that we can uh, talk about. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that, you know, another session. But yeah, because I have I have some gripes with that as well. Uh, some people like it, some people don't. But on the this weekend's preliminary card, BJ Penn is fighting Clay Guida. Now Clay's got thirty four wins and eighteen losses. BJ Penn's got sixteen wins, thirteen losses, and two draws. Depends What's on, your opinion on that one? Uh, my opinion is I've seen. I, I, first of all, uh, Clay Guida, he comes out there and he's a, you know, he's a spark plug. He'll 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 throw immediately. And BJ, sometimes you don't know which BJ is going to show up. Uh, the one that go and takes charge, or does he sit back and you know kind of uh, wait for his opponent to come to him? So um, it really does depend on BJ. But I would love to see BJ come back. And be strong and quick, and uh, you know, like he used to be when he was young. But um, it'll be interesting. I know that no matter what, Blake Weed is going to go at him. So it's it's going to be a fun fight. Yeah, I think I heard some people were counting BJ Penn out only because I guess they figured. I guess I guess the logic is that uh, you know, because BJ hasn't done that well and he's getting up there in age and. You know, he took some beatings in those Matt's and those Matt Hughes fights. Uh, I was about to say the, the uh, not even just Matt Hughes, but his past couple of fights, um, you know, didn't look. Uh, he kind of didn't stand up to what he said he was going to do. It kind of looked like he just stood back, and he might have been getting too tired in the fight early, and uh, you know, maybe maybe age and training, and you know he. Yeah. You know, could be a couple of different things, but, um, but hey, uh, 
I'm a UFC fan. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of uh, you know different uh, different styles of fights, and um, I, you know, I got a couple of favorites, so I'm always up for watching a good fight. Yeah, I mean, he is getting up there. He's 40 now, and you got to remember, he's he's on a uh, he's on a significant loss streak. I mean, he hasn't. He's got like yeah. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight losses in a row. His last loss was to by a heel hook to Ryan Hall. I actually caught that on YouTube. I didn't get to watch it live. And yeah, it I was, remember that guy Ryan Hall. He was on the uh, he was on the Ultimate Fighter, correct? Yeah, yeah. Ryan Hall's you know world class jiu-jitsu guy, um, well known for his heel hooks. And he took out BJ Penn in under three minutes in that fight. Yeah, and he's supposed to be a BJJ black, a high level BJJ black. Yeah, yeah. he was the first American to ever get um, a world championship in jiu-jitsu. First American guy to win a world title in jiu-jitsu. But I do, I do believe this, Mark, and I'm sure that you've seen this, being uh, you know, kind of a high level uh, BJJ guy yourself. I'm sure you've seen this. When you get old. And you don't train as much. You may have the belt, but you realize that the underbelts who are training really hard, like we used to when we were younger, they kind of make you feel like you don't deserve the belt anymore. So you, yeah. can get a, you can get a hard-working blue belt who's in there with black belts every single day, and he's learning or she's learning, and you know they can go in there and take out a purple or brown, brown belt. If they're, you know, old and they're not training as much or their skills are, are rusty, you know, you might have the belt, but, you know, they're not going to take the belt. Away. I'm sure the black belt who gave it to you is not going to say, oh, I got to take away your purple or brown belt or your black belt. But, you know, you got you to gotta know when to hang it up. You know, when, yes. when these underbelts are beating you over and over again, you know, that pretty much says, OK, I'm a little bit too old. I'm too rusty. I'm out of practice, and yeah. you know maybe it doesn't hold that much water anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's not that easy as you get older. You know, you can't unless you're on some kind of a testosterone replacement therapy. It's harder to keep up with these young guys. You can't train as hard. Uh, these guys, you know, train two or three times a day, five, six, seven days a week. Yeah, um, and the blue belts and the blue belts from 20 years ago are different than the blue belts from you know from present day. You got blue belts that are that are throwing all sorts of things that purple and brown belts are throwing, and they're good at it. So, you know, it's not just like, oh, I learned a triangle today. You're a blue belt. No, that's that's not it. You learned that day one as a white belt. So, you know, I feel that some of these old time black belts are going to get beat over and over again. Uh, You know, it's MMA, so it's not just you know jujitsu. But you know, if you get a high level jujitsu guy from a long time ago. You know, you can get a decent jujitsu guy who's got lots of MMA skill, and he'll probably beat your butt because yeah. you know you're relying on that that old black belt. You know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. A classmate of mine in my jujitsu school, he said he would refer to like a particular uh, good purple belt we had in our class, and he's like, he's got the best technique. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, leg locks. He's like, no, youth. 
That's funny. Right. I was like, yeah, the counter, the counter, the uh, the young guys, you got to get a little good at the leg locks. But at a certain point, that falls, you know, that's not true anymore because they, they can learn it as well. Yeah, the, the old guy's like, no, 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 stay away from my knee. I need that tomorrow. I got to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Anyway, guys, we'll, we'll be back. Zane, I'll uh, talk to you soon. You have a good one. Yeah, it was a great time. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me again. All right, take care, buddy. All right, everybody, we're back on the show, and now we're going to discuss this week's peak picks for UFC two thirty seven. For the co-main event, we have Jared Kennier versus Anderson Silva. Now, Jared has 15 fights, 11 of which were wins and four losses. Six of his wins were by knockouts, and three of them were by submissions. And in his last fight, he beat David Branch. And then you got Anderson Silva with 44 fights and 34 wins, coming off a loss in uh, UFC 234 from Israel Adesanya. Now, in this particular fight, I will go... A lot of people are going to argue with me. I've seen on, you know, on the internet, a lot of people are going with the younger guy. But I think Anderson Silver is going to actually pull this one off. That's just a gut feeling I have. And then for the main event, we have Rose... Nami Nunez versus Jessica Andras for the Women's Strawweight Championship belt. Now, this is Rose's second title defense. Rose has unorthodox striking because of her Taekwondo background and great jiu-jitsu. She has only a total of 11 fights with eight wins and three losses. And you have Jessica, who's a strong woman, good boxing. She's got 25 fights, 19 of them were wins. She has six losses. Six of her wins were by knockouts, and seven of her wins were by submissions. And she's also good on the ground. They're both jiu-jitsu brown belts. But in this particular matchup, I think Rose is going to win. I think Jessica's going to have a hard time closing the distance. I think that in order for Jessica to win, she's going to have to close the gap using leg kicks to follow up with her hands. Now, I know a lot of people online have... uh, Jessica winning the fight, but I disagree. I think for the fact that Rose having this belt at such a young age proves that she's something special. Plus, she already she beat a remarkable uh, former champion, Joanna Jedisek, who beat Jessica twice. And in my opinion, I think she's one of the best female strikers ever in the UFC history. So that's my take. I think Jessica, I think Rose is going to win her fight. And I think Anderson's holder is going to win uh, the co-main event. All right, guys, we'll be back after the short break. All right, guys, we're back on the show. And today I want to talk about another MMA organization called the PFL, the Professional Fighters League Association. Now, what I like about it 
is they have the old tournament format that Bellator used to have, um, where you had to win your fights in order to progress and become the champion. UFC had something similar, but pretty much you all did it one night, which was crazy. Um, but what they're doing is similar to like baseball and basketball, where they have a regular season, they have playoffs, and then if you win that, you go on to the championships. And they use points to determine who gets seeded or playoffs in both the quarter and semifinals. Um, and actually, during the playoffs, they actually fight twice in one night. I think the first, I, I forget the specifics, I think the first time they fight that night is two rounds, and the second, the second and if they win, and they go to a, a three, five-minute uh, match. But what I like about it is you actually have to prove yourself to become the champion. Unlike where UFC, where, you know, Dana says, oh, I'm going to match these two guys up. I think it'd be a great fight. But this type of format, bring, with the tournament format, I think it's better. The fighters have to prove themselves in order to become the champion. But what I also like is the compensation. These do. There's going to be six champions crowned this season in PFL. Each one of them is getting a million dollars each. Now, I don't know if you guys remember when Chris Wyman fought Anderson Silva the first time, he only got paid $20,000. And then he got, a, I think, a $20,000 bonus for knocking him out. So he got $50,000. With the PFL, they're going to be paid a million. So I think it's a better organization for the fighters. Of course, they're not at the level of the UFC. But I think, you know, if they keep having those type of payouts, I think potential is there to get better fighters into that organization. Now, the one, the reason why I wanted to watch, I saw the PFL this past week, the first time, the organization's been around for a little bit. I think they're in the second season. But the reason why I watched it this week was to watch um, Kayla Harrison, who's a two-time gold medalist uh, in, the, in judo in the Olympics, compete. And it was my first time watching her compete. And I have to admit, I am... Um, I'm very impressed with her. She doesn't seem like she's going to be a one-trick pony. Um, not to take any away from uh, uh, from from so from the other Judica <laughs> that we know of from the UFC. I'm not going to mention any names, but what I like about her is that she's putting her kicks and punches together, and she's using trips as opposed to the regular. Uh, over, you know, head throws that women tend to use in MMA. She's using a lot of trips, and she's training, I believe she's training with the American top team under Matt, uh, I think it's Matt Brown and Mike Brown, forget the guys, the coach or whatever. But I was very impressed with her fight, um, and she won. This was the first time she actually had a fight went to decision. She went in there, being 3-0, and and now she's 4-0 after this, after this fight. Whether or not she wins the whole event and takes home a million dollars, that's uh, remains to be seen. But I, for those of you guys who like to watch a, uh, a tournament format in the mixed martial arts, I think this is a pretty organization to follow. Um, you know, again, the skill level is not up to par as, as you know, the UFC, but I think the skill level will catch up, particularly with those high payouts for the athletes. All right, guys, we'll be back after, after a short break.
Alright guys, we're back. And now is the time for you guys to learn how to make money. Now, you can easily make money by listening to this podcast by downloading an app called PodCoin. You either your Android phone or your tablet or your iPhone or your tablet. And it's fairly simple. For each podcast that you listen to, you earn points. And then you can redeem those points for either Amazon or Starbucks. Or you can even donate it to charity. Now, by listening to my podcast and using this special promo code called MMA Show. That's the promo code, MMA Show. You will get 300 pod coins just for signing up and using my code. Again, it's MMA Show. And the app is called PodCoin. You can get it from, if you have an Android um, device, you can go to the Google Play Store. If you have an Apple device, you go to the uh, Apple Store. All right, guys, we'll be back. Alright guys, we're back to the show. As I mentioned before, every week you, our listeners, have a chance to win a prize. You have to listen to each podcast episode in its entirety to learn what that prize is. Since every week it will be different. You also have a chance to be entered in our drawing to win the grand prize. Now you will be rewarded for your patience. In order to qualify for this week's prize, you have to be the 100th caller to our show. And email us by using our email button on our Facebook page called Mark the Shark MMA Show. And that is Mark with a C and not a K. To call and leave us a message, you can download the Anchor app from either the Google Store or the Apple Store. By emailing us using our Facebook page, you will automatically get entered into our drawing for the grand prize, which will be announced in August. This week's 100th caller to the show gets a free Amazon gift card. Please, guys, please do not forget to follow us on our Facebook page. All right, guys, we'll be back after this short break. All right, guys, we're back to the show. I just wanted to make another quick announcement that next week or the week after, my daughter and I will be interviewed on a podcast called A Little Bit of Everything With Me. We'll be talking about books that we have published on both Amazon and Barnes & Noble and our new, and my daughter's new audiobook. So be on the lookout for that. guys we're at the end of our show this is mark retorto i'm signing off and don't forget to follow us on our facebook page it's called the mark the shark mma show and it's mark with a c not a k and also feel free to leave us messages by using the anchor app and also don't forget if you look in a mood for a good action thriller book to buy my book called the cabal the saga begins it's available on amazon and barnesandnoble.com 
And if you need a good book for your kid, get the I Am Survivor book or Invisible Girl book written by my daughter, Christina Retorto, also available on Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed the show and continue to listen to our shows every week. Thank you.